An architect was hired by a couple to design a beautiful home, and he presented his very best work to the couple. But to his surprise, the couple wasn't really happy with his plans. They thought it should be bigger and better. And to his shock, but probably should have known this was coming, the couple had already designed what they wanted in the home. You know, they wanted the big wraparound veranda. They wanted the big open concept, you know, the vaulted ceilings, the walk-in closets, the the cat door, the dog door, the horse door, you know, everything and all that and a bag of chips. And they were not overly pleased with what the architect presented. What the couple really wanted was the architect's approval of watching him put their designs together. You see, the architect felt useless because the couple didn't want to listen to his good plans. I'm sure you can see where I'm going here. If we're honest, sometimes that's the same way with God in our life. You see, God is the great architect. He is the creator of this world. He loves and has designed and given us, given us so much for life and godliness, and his Holy Spirit to help accomplish his will in this world. Yet sometimes we go to God for guidance, and we've already planned and maybe mapped out what we want in this world. You know, God, those are good plans, but, you know, this, uh, my plan is a lot better. You know, this would be great if you could really put this together in my life. And rather than seeking God and following his will, What we really want is to see God put our plans together for our life. And so it begs the question, why should we follow God? Why should we trust God? Why should we go to him for guidance? Why should we follow his leading? Well, scripture helps to remind us why. Proverbs 14, 12 says, There's a way that seems right to man. It seems good. Everyone else is doing it. Must be good. But scripture goes on to say, but in the end, it leads to destruction. Instead, Psalm 32a, God says, I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. I will guide you along the very best pathway for your life. And as we trust and follow God's guidance and his leading, he proves faithful over and over and over and over again because his resume is flawless. We can trust and rely upon God. Today we're concluding our series. It's been, for some people, maybe a long road trip of 12 weeks. Maybe you're ready to get out of the car. Maybe you're ready to just go lay in your own bed at this time. But we're concluding our series on Paul's missionary journey in the book of Acts. And you see, before Paul met Jesus, he followed his own will. He was Lord of his life. He did whatever he pleased and however he wanted. In fact, he persecuted Christians. He destroyed the church. He did whatever he could to defile and destroy Jesus' name. But every time that I've preached, I've always come back to this moment in Paul's life. Before he was Paul, he was Saul. And he encountered God in an incredible, miraculous way. God's Shekinah glory. 
the, the light that beams from just his very presence spoke to Saul. And Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And the reason why I keep going back to this moment of why it's so important is because one moment with Jesus can drastically change our life for better and for good. One moment can drastically change our life and our direction for good and for God. You see, after this moment, Saul, who then became Paul, surrendered his life to Jesus and he followed God's will for his life. And he was empowered by God to carry Jesus' name. No longer did he hinder the gospel, but he advanced it through his preaching. But he also reaffirmed the message of what he was saying by a demonstration of God's power. People were healed of diseases. The lame walked. People were cured of demon possession. And a dead man came back to life. And Paul is an example that God uses people greatly. God uses people greatly when they surrender their life to Jesus and trust and obey God. So our topic this morning, concluding our series, is this. Following God's will. Following God's will. You see, God's will refers to doing what pleases him, but it also is following and doing what he specifically asks us to do. There's two parts. There is the universal will of God, but there is also the unique will of God. The universal will of God applies to all people at all times. It's being humble, kind, generous, loving, forgiving, and gentle. And we're able to see um, the universal will of God in Luke chapter 5. And this is before he calls Simon, one of the disciples, to come and follow him. And what was going on in this moment is the word logos. That people were listening to Jesus as he shared the word of God. Logos. This is the Greek word. He was just sharing God's word. He was teaching them. But there was the unique will of God when Jesus called Simon to follow him. Before he did that, he told Simon to go out into the boat. And he said to put down your nets and to bring up the fish. I'm sure some of you remember this story. This story. And, and you know, Simon talks about, you know, we've been out for a long period of time, Lord. You know, this is useless. But, he says, but because you say so, by your word, I will let down the nets. This was unique for Simon only, specifically. You see, the unique will of God gives a specific word to a specific person at a specific time. There is the universal will of God, but there's also the unique will of God and what he's asking me. Not anybody else to do. What is God asking me to do? You see, following God requires more than just intellectual agreement. It's more than just saying, yes, this is right. But it requires paying close attention and actual movement that aligns with God's command. We, we see this in, you know, the children's game, you know, follow the leader. It's more than just watching the leader, but it's actual movement that aligns with what the leader is doing. And when I was thinking about this, I, I, I asked myself this question. Maybe, maybe you want to, you know, ask yourself this question too, and it's this. How do you respond to commands? How do you respond when somebody tells you to do something? 
typically there's, there's one of three reactions. There's to resist, to completely ignore. There's rebel. I'm not doing that. I'm going to go do this. I know what I want to do. But there's also the third reaction of to obey and do what they're asking you to do. And here's the reality. We don't realize how much we struggle with pride, my will, what I want for my life, until we have to choose between what we want and what God is asking me to do. We don't realize how much we struggle with pride and what we want with our life until we have to choose me or God. Me or God. I love what Henry Blackaby said. He said, our difficulty is not that we don't know God's will. Our discomfort comes from the fact that we do know his will, but we do not want to do it. Isn't that true? A lot of times it's like, I know what God is asking me to do. I'm, I'm delaying it. I'm ignoring it. I don't want to do it. I'm tired, Lord. I'm busy. But sometimes we just don't want to do it. And sometimes we don't want to do it because we don't fully understand why God wants me to do it. And when, as I was writing my sermon this week, this passage of scripture that I'm just about to share was incredibly helpful. And as soon as the Lord revealed this, uh, this passage of scripture to me, the sermon just started to just come together in, a, in an incredible way. And it's this from King David. Psalm 143.10, he says, Teach me, Lord, to do your will, for you are my God. May your good spirit lead me on level ground. Notice what King David is saying. Teach me. It's not natural. Uh, naturally, I rebel against you, Lord, but teach me to do your will. For you are my God, and may your good spirit lead me on level ground. We're in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 21, 1 through 15. And this is what God's word says. After we had torn ourselves away from them, we put out to sea and sailed straight to Kos. The next day we went to Rhodes and from there to Patera. We found a ship crossing over to Phoenicia, and went aboard and set sail. After sighting Cyprus and passing to the south of it, we sailed on to Syria. We landed at Tyre where our ship was to unload its cargo. Finding the disciples there, we stayed with them seven days. And through the Spirit, they urged Paul not to go to, on to Jerusalem. But when our time was up, we left and continued on our way. All the disciples and their wives and kids accompanied us out of the city, and there on the beach we knelt to pray. After saying goodbye to each other, we went aboard the ship, and they returned home. We continued on our voyage from Tyre and landed at Plutomus, where we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for a day. Leaving the next day, we reached Assyria and stayed, in, stayed at the house of Philip, the evangelist, one of the seven. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. After we had been there a number of days, a prophet, prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt, tied his own hands and feet with it, and said, The Holy Spirit says, In this way, the Jews of Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. But then Paul answered, Why are you weeping? And breaking my heart. I am 
ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. When he would not be dissuaded, we gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. And after this, we got ready and went up to Jerusalem. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We recognize that all scripture is God-breathed, and it's useful for correcting, teaching, rebuking, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God is thoroughly equipped for every good work. We thank you, Lord, that you are the living word. And so, Jesus, may you speak and may we be changed, not because of what we're doing, but because of your presence and power here with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The Apostle Paul is at the end of his third missionary journey. And the Apostle Paul is fully convinced and committed to God's will to take the gospel to Jerusalem. Now, some tried to convince Paul not to go. Don't go, Paul. It's dangerous. Don't go, Paul. It's going to be hard. But Paul reveals the important thing, which is this, what God wants him to do and how God will work through his obedience to follow God's will despite hardships. What's important is not what's going to happen to me. What's important is to trust and obey God and how he will work through my obedience. The late Billy Graham said this, we can be certain that God will give us the strength and resources that we need to live through any situation in life that he ordains. The will of God will never take us where the grace of God cannot sustain us. The will of God will never take us where God's grace cannot sustain us to do and be what is right and for his honor and glory. And so our main point is this. Following God's will requires obedience, even if it's costly. Following God's will requires obedience, even if it's costly. Now, it's easy to say that we love and we follow Jesus when all that costs us is just waking up and going to church. It's easy to say that we love and follow Jesus when it doesn't cost us anything. We don't actually have to do anything. All we have to do is just receive. But when we surrender our love to Jesus with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, we willingly surrender our own self-interest and choose to obey his revealed will regardless of what happens. Sometimes it's not always clear why. But when we say yes and obey God, we're more usable by him to help advance his kingdom. And I love how Jesus helps us. And it's this idea that God would never ask us to do something that he hasn't already modeled. God would never ask us to do something that he hasn't already modeled. We look at the life of Jesus. Jesus said, I have come not to do my will, but to do the will of the one who sent me. Jesus implies that he follows and he obeys God's will regardless. Jesus has humility. He denies himself. Jesus never stepped out to do his own will, but only what was in alignment with what God was asking him to do. And we see this how Jesus was willing to obey even though it was costly in the Garden of Gethsemane. The night before he was to be betrayed and killed. 
in Luke twenty-two forty-two, Jesus says, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. Jesus knows it's going to be costly. But yet not my will, but yours be done. There's the obedience. Take this cup from me, Lord. I know it's going to be costly, but not my will, but yours be done. Jesus obeyed God even though it costed him an incredible pain and suffering. But he did it to help advance God's kingdom, to offer forgiveness and salvation to anyone who believes. And I love what Oswald Chambers said. He said, no healthy Christian ever chooses suffering. Healthy Christians choose God's will, as Jesus did, whether it means suffering or not. We follow Jesus. Jesus chose to follow God's will. And as we follow Jesus, we follow God's will, whether it means suffering or not. And so in our passage of Scripture, some Christians are concerned for Paul's safety as Paul is following God's will. In verse 4, it says, Finding the disciples there, we stayed with them seven days, and through the Spirit, they urged Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. Through the Spirit. This is the Holy Spirit. And when you read between the lines in this passage of Scripture, it's indicating that God was giving some prophecies to the Christians living in Tyra. And at first glance, when you first look at this passage of Scripture, it initially kind of perceives that God is revealing to the Christians to tell Paul not to go. So, they then say, and they urge Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. They, they command him, they, they tell him, don't do this. Don't do this. This is dangerous. This is going to be hard. And like any good friend who doesn't want to see somebody get hurt, you know, they, 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 they try and protect Paul from hardships and, and pain and suffering. But rather than warn him of the impending danger that's coming, they just tell Paul, don't go. Don't go. You see, the truth is, the Holy Spirit had revealed to the believers that Paul would suffer in Jerusalem. God had revealed a prophecy to the Christians that Paul would suffer in Jerusalem. But what they did with that revelation was a misinterpretation. They misinterpreted what God had revealed to them. Rather than warn Paul of the impending danger, they let their emotions get the best of them, and they tell Paul, don't go. Don't go. A wise pastor friend said this, when God gives a person a revelation, a prophecy, or a word of knowledge, we must be careful not to try and guess what it means or how it applies. But when God gives a revelation or a prophecy or word of knowledge, our responsibility is to simply just state it. Just say it. Just say what God reveals and leave the application and the interpretation to God and the next steps to the person. You see, the revelation was correct. Paul would suffer. But the application was wrong. But what they also didn't know behind the scenes was that God's will had already been given 
and Paul had already accepted that he was going to go to Jerusalem. We see this in the previous chapter, in chapter 20, verses 22 to 24. Paul is convinced and committed to God's will. Compelled by the Holy Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem. Paul is fully convinced and committed this is God's will for his life. And he is fully aware of the cost. The Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me in Jerusalem. But he's willing to obey and sacrifice his life. But what he says next, I consider my life worth nothing to me. I consider my life worth nothing to me that I may complete the race and the task the Lord Jesus has given to me, testifying to the gospel of God's grace. You see, there's a phrase that goes like this. Forewarned is forearmed. Forewarned is forearmed. The Holy Spirit had previously warned Paul of impending hardships, but the Lord did that to help Paul be emotionally prepared. And to not be caught off guard when he experiences pushback when he shares the gospel message. You see, the foreknowledge is to help Paul understand that God knows all things. And this is part of God's plan, his will for Paul to take the gospel to Jerusalem. Even though he would suffer, God would be glorified and his kingdom would be advanced through his obedience. Hard times come, but they don't surprise God. Hard times come, but they don't surprise God. And this is the point. Followers trust God rather than be swayed by the opinions of other people. True followers of Jesus trust God first rather than be swayed by the opinions of other people. Colossians 1 17 says, he is before all things, and in him he holds all things together. We can trust him. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 talks about trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. And Isaiah 26, 3 says, you, Lord, will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose eyes are fixed on you. Notice how the Christians now support Paul. In the latter part of verse 5, it says, All the disciples and their wives and kids accompanied us out of the city, and there on the beach we knelt to pray. You know, there was unity. You know, they, they accompanied Paul as he was trying to follow and obey God's will for his life. And they had a change to follow God's will that Okay, this is God's will for Paul. And it was demonstrated by their posture. They knelt. They knelt to pray. And by their words, they joined together and prayed, Thy will be done, in which we pray in the Lord's prayer. You see, this prayerful support was undoubtedly an encouragement to Paul as he followed God's will. And it was noteworthy to include it in Scripture. And here's the point. Followers rely upon God's strength rather than our own might. Followers rely upon God's strength 
rather than our own might and determination. Isaiah 40, 29 says, He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. 41, 10 says, Do not be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And 2 Corinthians 12, 9 talks about how His grace is sufficient in every season of life. It's not just God's kindness, but it's it's His enablement, God's grace to do and be what is right. Hudson Taylor, a missionary in the 1980s, said this, God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supply. God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supply. His strength, his enablement. If our intent is to trust and obey God, he won't leave us on our own but he will strengthen and empower us to do what he's asking us to do. And so why don't we just take a step back from this passage of Scripture. Think about our own life and the people around us that we interact with every day. Do you know somebody in your life who's trying to follow God's will? Do you know somebody that, you know, they're trying, they're they're trying to understand what God is asking them to do, but they may be a little confused What do you think we can do to help support them? Probably similar to what the Christians did for Paul. We can get behind and pray. We can support. We can help them. We can pray with them. As most of you know, for a period of time, I believe, you know, it was God's will that I step into interim pastor, you know, while Pastor Scott has been on sabbatical. And by the way, Pastor Scott's coming back next week, so we're excited about that. But during this whole season, God has been teaching me things, but also revealing things in my life, too. If I'm being honest, I'll I'll just be transparent here. With the extra responsibilities, I was able to handle things at the beginning, But I noticed that I was getting pretty tired. And I noticed that my attitude and my emotions were not where they should be. And the Lord helped me understand this. I can do a lot of good things. But nothing of eternal significance without God. We can all do good, helpful things but nothing of eternal significance without God's help and enablement working through us. Initially, I too often rely upon Jetty rather than upon God through Jetty. I needed to learn to surrender, trust, and rely upon God. But I also know that through this season, some people have been praying for me too. And so thank you for your prayerful support. Ephesians 6, 18 says, Pray in the Spirit at all times with all kinds of prayers and requests. Stay alert and always keep praying for all the Lord's people. Always keep praying for all the Lord's people. Don't underestimate how we can support and pray for God's people. So let's go back to our pastor of Scripture. 
Paul is closer to Jerusalem, but while in Caesarea, a Christian prophet shares insight of what's going to happen to Paul once he arrives in Jerusalem. In verse 11 it says, Coming over to us, he took Paul's bill, tied his hands and feet with it, and said, The Holy Spirit says, In this way the Jews of Jerusalem will bind the owner of this bill and will hand him over to the Gentiles. They'll bind. They will fasten Paul in chains. It's foreshadowing Paul's arrest and his imprisonment in Rome. They will hand him over. They will betray him. They will abandon him. Paul will be falsely accused. He will be seized. He will be dragged. And the Jews will attempt to kill him. But notice what the prophet said in this passage of Scripture. The Christian prophet clearly communicates what God told them to say. No more, no less. No interpretation. Just exactly what God told him to say. And unlike the Christians at Tyra, he didn't tell Paul not to go, but he simply just stated the warning of what's going to happen as he follows Jesus. And I believe this was an act of God's mercy to reassure Paul of God's presence with him. Psalm 23, 4 talks about, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You see, initially when Paul was commissioned by God, you know, 20 some odd years earlier, it was stated that it was God's will, it was God's will that Paul would suffer. It was stated by God that Paul would suffer. In chapter 9, 16, God says, I will show him, Paul, how much he must suffer for my name. Suffer on behalf of somebody else. We know in Paul's life that he was threatened, he was beaten, he was arrested, he was shipwrecked. But remember, Paul used to be the problem. He was the persecutor. He used to be the problem. But now God would use him to be part of the solution. He would be persecuted for Jesus. You see, Jesus' suffering and sacrifice provided the way of salvation for anybody that believes. And Paul's suffering for Jesus would ensure the offer of salvation to the people in Jerusalem. And it's this idea that our faith is strengthened and our witness is powerful when we persevere rather than complain or give up on God. Our faith is strengthened and our witness is powerful when we persevere, when we just trust and obey God, rather than just complain or throw in the towel or give up on God, when we persevere. A.W. Tozer said, God never uses anybody greatly until he tests them deeply. God never uses anybody greatly until he tests them deeply. And so it's about our perspective. While it's natural to avoid suffering, what if God wants us to persevere through hard times? What if God gives us the grace to endure rather than avoid in order to reach somebody for Jesus? Are we willing to persevere even though it costs us something if somebody else could come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior of their life? 
again, we see how the people misinterpret the prophecy, just like at Tyre. When we heard this, when, when the prophet had shared what was going to happen in Paul's life, Scripture says, we and the people there pleaded with Paul, do not go up to Jerusalem. To, they, they were begging. They, they had this anxious worry. And notice who was saying this to Paul. It wasn't just the Christians, but we, his traveling companions, his friends, his co-workers in Christ, all warning him not to go for fear he would die. And rather than encourage Paul to obey God's leading, everybody is telling him, abandon God. Abandon God. Don't do it. And unfortunately, this still happens today. Sometimes it's the people that are closest to us. The people that should know better. They may counsel us to do the wrong thing. Because maybe they don't fully understand, or maybe because they don't want us to suffer. You see, this experience parallels something very similar to Jesus when he told his disciples that he would die in Jerusalem. In Matthew 16, Jesus said that he would be handed over to the Jews. He would be suffered and killed, but he'd be raised to life on the third day. And rather than support and console Jesus, Peter, one of the disciples, rebukes Jesus. Never, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But Jesus said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God. You see, sometimes God's will is confusing. I'll be honest, sometimes it's That doesn't make any sense, Lord. And we don't fully understand, and maybe we don't have all the details. And even though our motive might be pure, that we don't want to suffer or experience pain, we may be out of line with what God's will is for either our life or for somebody else's life. And here it is. There's a tension between God has the ability to protect and rescue, but sometimes... God's eternal purposes don't align with our temporary plans. Sometimes God's eternal purposes don't align with our temporary plans. And so it's this idea, will we trust God, trust his perspective and persevere even in our sufferings if he could use them to help other people? And I came across this quote and it went something like this. Just because God's will isn't understandable doesn't mean it's not the right path. Just because we don't understand doesn't mean it's not right in what God is asking us to do. And so we can see how their response impacted Paul emotionally. Paul answered them. He said, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? Why are you weeping and breaking my heart? This breaking only refers to one time in the Bible. It refers to how Paul, his heart is, is being crushed into pieces metaphorically. And rather than support Paul, they are depriving Paul of strength and encouragement to follow God's will for his life. You see, the focus should be on supporting and consoling Paul, but what does Paul have to do? He has to calm down the other people. The focus is not where it should be. The focus should be on consoling Paul. And this is where we see Paul verbally express his obedience to God. He said, I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. He is mentally, emotionally, and spiritually prepared, but even though he is, he still doesn't want to do it. 
but he knows that this is God's will for his life. He's been previously warned, but he says, I'm willing to die. And when you understand this Greek word, it's not just a peaceful death. It's not just slipping away in our sleep, but it actually refers to a violent death. And Paul is willing to obey God's will, even if he dies. I think that's pretty costly. And I found it really interesting when I was reading this pastor's scripture of notice how he addresses Jesus. He calls him Lord. You see, the word Lord originally meant an owner. Somebody with authority, control, or power over other people. Kind of like a landlord to renters. And Paul is saying, Jesus is my master. I'm his servant. What he asked me to do, I will do. And it's this idea that while the world wants others to remember their name, followers want others to remember Jesus through us. A lot of people want to be remembered, but followers want Jesus to be remembered through us. Jesus through us. There are three types of people. Those who neither call Jesus Lord nor do the things he says. Those who call Jesus Lord but do not do what he says. And there's also those who call Jesus Lord and obey what he says. Finally, we come and see that they accept God's will. The Christians, they said, when, we, when he would not be dissuaded, we gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. May it be so. They came to accept what God's will was for Paul, not necessarily what they wanted to Paul. And there's a word that happens. There's a word that describes what just happens right here. The Lord's will be done. Relinquish. Relinquish. It's about letting go. I give up, Lord. I surrender. Your will be done in Paul's life. And Paul demonstrates his obedience by, after this, we got ready and went up to Jerusalem. Notice, he didn't go alone. We, with his companions, did this together. So what has God been telling you to do lately? What has God been telling you to do lately? But maybe the bigger question is, what have you done with what he said? You ignored? You resisted? Or have you obeyed? We can either trust or obey God, or because of fears of the unknown, we can just say no. D.L. Moody said, there will be no peace in any soul until it's willing to obey the voice of God. There'll be no peace in any soul until it's willing to obey the voice of God. Again, sometimes it's not always clear why God wants us to do something, but when we say yes and obey, we're more usable by him to help bring his name to those who desperately need it most. And so I'd love for us to read this closing passage of scripture together. King David said, Psalm 143.10, let's read this together. Lord, teach me to do your will, for you are my God. May your good spirit lead me on level ground. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for who you are. We thank you, Lord, that you are loving, kind, gentle, but also just. Thank you, Lord, that you do not leave us where we are. Thank you, Lord, that you meet us where we are, but Lord, you also want to encourage us and to use us, Lord, 
and to take your name to those who desperately need it most. And so, Jesus, in and every season of life, Lord, may we keep our eyes on you. May we trust you, Lord. And may we be a people that trust and obey you, Lord, in every season of life. And so, Jesus, as King David said many years ago, which is still true for us today, teach us, Lord, to do your will. Teach us, Lord, to be humble, to be selfless, and that as people see us, they see an accurate reflection of who you are. In the precious and powerful name of Jesus and all God's people said.